to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. First Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the flesh or lust after evil things, I'm sorry, as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this passage. Lord, fairly well-known verse that we see there at the very end of the passage. A verse that every single one of us should memorize at some time in our Christian walk. But Lord, help us not to just memorize one verse. Help us to understand the context. Help us to understand why we are memorizing that verse. And that will be my job today, my goal today, our goal today, to learn what it is that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13 mean. And so Lord, I pray that you would anoint me and anoint my mouth, my mind. Help me to make sense of this passage. Give it clarity to our open hearts and minds this day. Help us to walk out of this place knowing you better than we know you even right now. Help us to walk out of this place knowing what you desire out of us. How we might fulfill the calling that you have in each and every one of our lives. As we sit at your feet and learn from you this morning. And we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Messages, title of my message is, Don't Follow the Example. Now, oftentimes we see Scripture, and I I shared it last week. I said this is kind of a, a contrast to what we'll be getting into here in a couple of weeks as we move into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the very first verse in there says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. What Paul is saying, 
I'm an example, so follow me. Do what I'm doing. You want to know how to follow Christ? I'm an example. Do what I do. And yet here the title of my message today is don't follow the example. Whose example? It all depends on who the example is. Who is the example? Well, for the sake of our study today, let me just look at the word example. You see in verse in chapter 10 verse um uh, verse 6 These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 11, look at that passage, look at that verse. Now all these things happened to them as examples, as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Admonition is just another word for instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. And so the word example in the Greek is Tupos, tupos, T-U-P-O-S, T-U-P-O-S. Not that it means a whole lot to you or me, other than why I, I, listen, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just have a lot of books that I can go in and I can look at and understand what these words mean. And it helps me to to take, you know, the instruction and the, the lessons of men that have well gone on before me and are experts in the field of linguistics and, and translations and what have you. And know, you know, the language, the actual language of Greek and classical Greek and Koine Greek and, and understand the tenses and the, you know, the, 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 the you know, how to parse out certain verbs and and things like that in order to make the, the 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 words mean what they mean and 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 it draws out much more to us it, it helps me it helps you it helps us to understand a little bit more gives us a little insight maybe into the passage not that we're trying to see something deeper in everything we just want to know the depth of it all because I don't know if you know this. I think you do. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. And so it would be a good thing for us to understand a little bit of Greek, but it's not necessary for us to necessarily, it's not necessary for us to necessarily be necessary to understand Greek. <laughs> we don't have to know Greek. We just have to trust the people who do know Greek. And therein lies, do you have people that you trust? Well, I've found over the years that there's some very trustworthy people that I know who do know Greek, that trust others that know Greek, that have put together, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes of reference material in order to understand words. And the idea behind this is, is it helps us to understand. You remember, for instance, you remember this, this, the place in Scripture, the time where Jesus has, as, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Peter today, about his denial, but you remember how Peter denied, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But, but once Jesus rose again from the dead, he called, he says, go and tell the others and Peter that I want to speak with him. I'm going to spend some time with him. And you remember that he came to Peter and he spoke with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course I love you. He says, well then feed my sheep. And then a second time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well Lord, you, you know I love you. He says, well then tend my lambs. And then a third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, oh Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And you go, well, that, what? Just, I don't know, that just almost doesn't make any sense. Why did he ask him three times? 
Well, there's a great understanding and a great application. Peter denied three times. Jesus is restoring him three times, right? It's a great point. And I think there's much value in that. But when you look at the words that are used for love, we in our English translation say love. Peter, do you love me? The word that Jesus used for, for love is, a, is an unconditional love. He says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you, do you love me with no strings attached? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, oh, you know that I love you, Lord. But he didn't use the word agape. He used the word phileo, where we get our, where we get our, our wonderfully friendly city in Philadelphia, not. I don't know if you're from Philly. I don't know. I, I mean, they booed Santa Claus one time in a football game. I'm thinking, woof, these guys are mean. But here's the thing. Are you from Philly? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got some nice people from Philly. Okay. Hey, we, I've got one of my favorite teachers, uh, Joe Foch, is from Calvary, Philly up there. And I love that guy so much. Phenomenal teacher. But here's the thing. We understand that the word Philadelphia, what is that? That the, That's a city of what? Brotherly love, right? And so that's Philadelphia, phileo. That, the root of that is brotherly love. And so Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? There's no strings attached to our love. It's an undying love. It's an unconditional love. And Peter goes, oh, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. He says, well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? Peter goes, oh, the second time. He goes, oh, Lord, you know I phileo you. And the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? You love me like a brother? He goes, that I made you come down to where I am. Yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. There's a lot, there's a message there. Where the Lord sought Peter out where Peter was and restored Peter where Peter was. It was it, it's a great message. But you see, the understanding of the text, understanding a word, makes the passage that once might have been fairly black and white turn full color. And that's the idea behind getting into a word. And when we look at this word today, example, tupos, tupos, we, we uh, understand that according to those who understand Greek, the word literally means to strike, to smite with repeated blows. It's something caused with repeated strikes or blows so as to make a mark, a print, or an impression. It's a figure, or it's a form, or it's a pattern, or it's a prototype. Okay? So here's the thing. Paul is saying to the uh, Corinthian believers, he's saying, here's some things that they did, our forefathers. He, he starts it off. He says, listen, all of our fathers, in verse 1, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. Remember, we talked about that last week. In the wilderness, there was a cloud that followed them or that led them by day and kept the sun from beating down and just completely and totally destroying the children of Israel. And a pillar of fire by night to give them light and protection. All our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They all went right through the Red Sea on dry ground. 
They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food. That manna, that word manna meaning what is it? That food that they found on the ground every day. They all ate of that food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. There's nothing wrong with what we've read thus far. It's a great remembrance. Oh yeah, I remember. What a wonderful thing it would have been to see that. I mean, do you ever allow yourself to go down that road and think, hey, what would it have been like to be at, a, at, a, at the, the side of a, of a sea where it, the depths of it you know are, are, are great and you know that you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and you've got an army that's coming up behind you to destroy you and you have a sea there and there's no way out and you know that you're, you're dead. There is no possible way of survival. You know that the Pharaoh is a mean and wicked and a ruthless ruler that is going to take your life. And he's going to not spare your kids either. He's going to just wipe you all out. And you're there and you're going, my life is over. And all of a sudden Moses says, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. And he raises his hands and boom, this water opens up. Now, there's probably a few RCA dogs back in that day where you go, Well, now that's something you don't see every day. And you walk through on that dry ground. Can you imagine? And, and Paul, he's recalling this. He's going, do you remember our dads, our fathers, our, our, our ancestors, they got up every day and there was food on the ground. Wouldn't that be great? To wake up every day and have food on the ground? And you with young kids, you go, it's an everyday occurrence for me. Here's the thing. They saw this. They saw things that that we've never seen. But it says in verse 5, it brings out the negative. He goes, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why wasn't he pleased? Why was he not pleased? Because these that saw this wonderful works of God, they still didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. And, and, and so the idea is, as I mentioned last week, like Thomas, unless I put my finger in his hands or my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then the next time they were in the upper room and Jesus appeared to all of the disciples there, minus Judas who had gone out and flung himself over, hung himself, and then dropped down to the bottom of the gully and burst asunder. He, he's not there. But the other 11 guys are. And Thomas, he sees Jesus there in that locked up room. He just appears. And he walks over after Jesus says, Thomas, come here, put your finger in my hands and put your hand in my side. Isn't that what you said yesterday? You wouldn't believe unless you did this? Come on over here and do what it is that you have to do in order to believe. And Thomas, he says, my Lord and my God, the Lord of me and the God of me. And, and Jesus, you remember, he said, hey, blessed Thomas, because you see, you believe more blessed are they who believe without seeing. And that probably entails most of us in this room. That you believe without seeing. Jesus says you're more blessed than Thomas who was able to walk around and hang out with Jesus all the time. He, Jesus says you're more blessed than Thomas 
You're more blessed than the other disciples because you have an opportunity to have faith, to live your life in faith in Christ without yet ever physically seeing an earthly appearance of Jesus Christ. That's faith. You see, the the, the disciples were not necessarily living on complete faith. They were living on logic and reason. You and I are living on faith. We're living on the trustworthiness of what we have seen passed down through the ages from our fathers. The literature that has stood the test of time. The accuracy of it is unparalleled. There is not another uh, literary text that even comes close to the matching of the accuracy of the Word of God. And we have that. And we look at that and we trust it because we see the accuracy of it. And we believe. But Peter, he saw Jesus. And Thomas, he saw Jesus. And these guys, they witnessed all this wonderful things. Hence the reason why I began the prayer off of saying, hey, we might have a more blessed generation than those who walked with Jesus. Because you know what? I'm believing without ever looking at Jesus face to face. And so are you, most of you, if not all of you. I don't want to sit here and minimize anybody. Maybe some of you have seen Jesus face to face. I don't know. But here's the thing. Most of us haven't. And those of you who have not, here's what I see. Jesus says to you, you're more blessed than Thomas and Peter and John and James you have the disciples because you know what? You're believing without having to see something tangible. And great is going to be your reward in heaven. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't get, don't get weary. Don't, don't stop believing. Because it's all going to be worth it one day. It's all going to be worth it one day. But the disciple, or but, but what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, but you see, those of you who think, if I could just see God's handiwork, I would believe all the more. You mean if, if God were to put food on the ground every single day for you, you'd believe and you wouldn't doubt ever again? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's all I'd need. Every day. You mean if there was a cloud, just like a supernatural cloud that went over you guys every day of your life, and that's not the, the cloud of depression. That was a cloud of protection. And the pillar of fire by night, that would blow your mind, wouldn't it? Just this uh, a couple days ago, uh, uh, Lynette and, and uh, my mother and father-in-law and I, we saw on, on the news, some of you guys might have seen that. There was like a, I forgot what it was called. It was like a uh, a a fire NATO. Is that what it's called? A fire NATO? It's like a fire that started in, in an agricultural field. And because of the winds and everything, the fire just kind of, it, it just kind of walked in a tornado. And, and there was this tornado going up in this field. There was no, I mean, it was perfectly clear everywhere else. And it was, it was just clear, but there was this fire that was there in the middle of, of this tornado that was probably maybe as big around as these chairs right here. And there was this fire that was just, and everywhere that thing was going, it just left a, a, a trail of fire behind it as it was walking. And it was like, whoa. 
Can you imagine? Every night that thing kicked up. But it wasn't just on the ground. It was all the way up into the sky. To wherever you were in the camp of the Israelites, you could go, man, I'm getting scared. Oh, wait, there's the pillar of fire. I see it. It's the idea behind a shepherd. A shepherd has a staff and a rod. A staff and a rod. One is for beating the you know, predatory animals to come in and take from your sheep, from your flock. Even sometimes it was for an opportunity for a shepherd to, to discipline. But the staff, hooked staff, is to, when a sheep would fall down, it would, it would, you know, reach out and grab, you know, and hook this sheep up and get him up out of the ditch. But something about sheep, I had a, my mentor, his name was Larry Taylor, he, he had shared with me, he and his wife, they grew, uh, they, they raised, he raised sheep, and his wife Kathy raised goats. Now, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 25, it says that the sheep are going to go to heaven and the goats are going to go to hell. And, and so Larry would always say that to Kathy. He goes, you know, your, your goats are going to go to hell. And she goes, not my goats. <laughs> and, but he said, here's something about sheep. He says, sheep get nervous. You know how they get nervous? They lose sight of the shepherd. You know how they get lose sight of the shepherd? They turn their back on him. Ha, 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 ha. Ah, where is he? Ah, I don't know where he is. And he starts shaking. He shakes. Ah, and, and the shepherd sees it. And the shepherd lays his staff out and just touches the back. Just touches the back of the sheep. And the sheep is, ah, ah. oh, there he is. Wow, where'd you go? I've always been here, man. <laughs> You're a sheep. That's the pillar of fire. That's the cloud. It's that, it's that sense of... You laying the staff upon my back to calm me down in this times of trouble and the storms in my life. But I can tangibly see something. I can tangibly feel something. I can eat something. I can, I can drink something. The spiritual rock that gave them the thirst-quenching water. I, it was something tangible. And, and Paul is pointing it out saying... They had this and, and they saw it. And if you think that you need these things in order to believe the Lord and follow Him with everything that you have, you're sorely mistaken because there was a generation that had all that and they all turned their back save three men. Moses, Joshua, and Gideon. Or Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones that didn't turn their back. But everybody else did. If you think, I need to see something of the Lord in order to believe, Paul is talking to you. He's talking to me. And he's saying, you know, those guys were our examples. They were our tupos. They were our pattern. You know why? Because for 40 years they were pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding a prototype. Pounding a form. They were pounding an example. They were pounding in an impression for us to never forget. That just because you see God doesn't mean you're going to follow God. 
Just because you tangibly can, can, can hold and touch and feel and taste and smell and hear and all that kind of stuff, if you can do those things with the very senses that you have on your body, in your body and what God has created in you, just because you have those things and they've been satisfied doesn't mean that you're going to follow the Lord. He says, because these guys had it and they didn't follow. In fact, it said there in verse 5, most of them, God, was not well pleased. That's an understatement. Because out of all of them, only Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And their bodies, they were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our tupos. They became our examples. They became our pattern. They became that impression for us to always look back on so that we do not fall into the same traps that they fell into. That we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The word lust literally means desire. It means a twisted desire, but a desire nonetheless. Lust carries with it a a forbidden fruit. And if you go, wow, I've got that. I've got that. No, it might not be sexually for you. It might be for power. It might be for money. It might be for stability. It might be for security. It might be for whatever it is, material item. I don't, I don't know what it is, whatever you lust after. Know that you're in good company. Know that every single one of us, you, I, we all lust after certain things. I don't know what yours is. You don't know what mine is. To count of three, we're all going to yell it out, okay? No, we're not. <laughs> You know why? We don't want it. We don't want people to know. These are issues that we're dealing with in life. Every one of us are dealing with it. I have to say that because you know what? There are some that will come into a church and go, I'm not as good as everybody else. I don't think that I'm ever going to attain to that place where I'm not struggling because nobody else struggles in this place. If you struggle in this place, would you raise your hand? And if your hand's down, we're going to raise one for you. You know, we all struggle with something. We all struggle. One day we're not going to struggle. It's the day when we do see Jesus face to face. When we're in heaven, man. I can't wait for that day. I don't know about you, man, but I can't wait for that day. I, I, I don't mean to draw attention where attention doesn't need to be drawn. And I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds. But Matt's mom passed away just a couple of weeks ago. A few weeks ago. She's in heaven, though. Death is a tough thing, isn't it? It's tough for us. But the sting of death, as a Christian, knowing that you have a, a mother, or you have a dad, or you have a loved one that, that had a relationship with God, it, it's still painful. Oh, it's still painful. There's still loss. There's still a void. But there's a sting that has kind of been taken off of it, isn't it? Because you know, there's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more weeping. There's no more night. There, there's no more 
illness. There's no more sin. There's no more struggle with lust. There's no more struggle with with sin. There's no more struggle with anything. And she's with the Lord. When I think of my mom back in 2006 when she passed away, on Thanksgiving Day, which is an interesting thing, she loved to cook. It was an apropos day for her to, to pass away. But to think back, and, and, and the one thing that, that, that really helps me out a lot is to know that she's in the arms of the Lord right now. I'm going to see her again. One day. We're not going to struggle with these things that we struggle with today, gang. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And it's going to be an awesome time, guys. It is going to be a time like none other. Just this past week, uh, my brother, besides my wife, my best friend, and son, you know, my wife and son, my wife would go, well, that's kind of weird because you guys never talk. I know. But we're guys. Okay, we're just guys. That's just how guys are, you know. She says, I don't see why you guys don't talk more. I goes, that's just who we are. We just don't talk. But when we're together, it's awesome. You know, I remember seeing, hearing Tim Hawkins. Any of you guys know who Tim Hawkins is? He's a Christian comedian, you know. <clears throat> he talks about, uh, you know, something he wants to talk to worship leaders about is, is some of the songs that you sing and write. <clears throat> he says you got to start writing some songs for guys. Because you know what? As a guy, when you say, I want to touch your face. I want to look in your eyes. I want to hold you close. And you, got, you know, that's not necessarily a guy. A guy doesn't really do that kind of a thing, you know. Lord, I want to sit on a couch and watch a game. And Lord, not say anything. What a great day that would be. You know, I mean, it, 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 but when my brother came down, it just there's just this sense of contentment when he showed up, and I just see in his face. I'm driving down. He got he, he got into my part my uh, driveway before my son and I were out doing something and. He was standing in my driveway before I got there. He had to wait for a couple minutes. But just seeing him down the road, there's just a sense of contentment that just came over me. And when I got out of the car, I had tears in my eyes and a lump in my throat as I hugged my brother. I hadn't seen him for, I don't know, a year and a half. It's almost two years, coming up on two years, September. And to see him and to hug him and to feel him and to, to be there and to speak. Okay, this is just a Haskins thing, man, to smell him. My wife goes, you smell everything. I know, I do. (laughs) Here's the thing. To just, that's part of the senses. One day we're going to be in heaven. And do you know that feel? I'm trying to paint the feel that I have, to paint the emotion that I have when I see my brother. And, and, and to see my family after long periods of not being with them and just this contentment of going, I can die right now. I am so content right now. I am so happy that I have you around me and I'm just so filling up my eyes. I can't look at you anymore. If I could open my eyes anymore, I'd do it to take you all in because I love being in this place with my sister and my two brothers and my dad. 
I love being there. This contentment when my mom was still alive. I remember the first time I ever went away. The opportunity to see them all for the first time. I think it was Thanksgiving. It was some uh, from August until Thanksgiving. I'd been away from a family that I'd been together with twice a week minimum. To then just being completely separated from August until Thanksgiving and seeing them around a table. Not around a table, but actually coming out when my wife and I drive up in the driveway in Michigan and all of them coming out. I can't, I can't explain the depth of contentment that I had as you're hugging and you're holding on to each other and you're just going, I want to soak it all in and I don't ever want it to stop. Heaven, just a glimpse is of heaven. Because it usually takes about two days before all of a sudden you start having, you remember all the things that you'd snip at each other for? You know? In heaven, we're not going to snip at each other. It's going to be perfect. Heaven. Don't let the things and the things of this world distract you from what is in store for you and me and us in heaven. There are many things in this earth that we look at and we think, maybe... That's where my contentment will come from. Maybe I can find happiness in that. Maybe I can, maybe I can hold on to that and see that and be, a, oh, maybe, just maybe. And maybe you've been chasing that carrot your whole life. And every time you've attained something like that, you found that, you know what? It wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Ask the wealthy, ask the famous. Now that you have it all, was it worth it? They all probably will say, well, you know, having the money is not a bad thing. But you know what? Having a lot of money like that has really produced a whole lot of loneliness. That's not where it's at. There's so many of them that are still clamoring for something to hold on to tangibly to fulfill them. And that's what heaven is about. There's nothing on this earth that's worth living for or lusting after. You're in a room right now of people that have lusted after and continue to struggle and lust after certain things. But we're in a church. There's a lot of people that don't go to church because it goes, there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. You know what? There are. But you know what? This is a place where the hypocrites come. And they can pour out their heart before an, an all-loving and all-forgiving God and say, Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to live in hypocrisy. I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to represent you that way. I want to live for you. And so instead of looking at a church of, filled with hypocrites, what it is, is it's a, it's a spiritual hospital where we come in and we, we minister and we heal together and we, we look unto the author and the finisher. We look to the great physician to heal us. That's who and why we come together. To learn from the Lord who loves us and recognize this avenue that you're going down that other look, looks, others look upon you and say, hypocrite, that's not helpful, is it? No, it's not helpful, Lord, and I'm struggling with it. Would you help me? And the Lord will always help you. He will always forgive you, uh, forgive a repentant heart, a broken and contrite spirit. He will not break. He, he'll take you. He'll restore you. He'll renew you. 
Paul himself said, listen, I would not have known sin unless the law would have said, thou shalt not covet. The word covet is a Hebrew word for lust. Paul said, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I would not have known sin unless the word of God, unless the the law said, thou shalt not lust. And and then he goes on, that's Romans chapter 7, and he goes in and he starts talking about how the things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't do, and the things that I will not to practice, those are the very things that I do practice. And he begins to paint... Literally, or in, in literature, in word, in verb, in verbiage, a, a, a struggle that every single one of us have. I don't want to do this, and I find myself doing it. And the things that I, I really think I should be doing, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched gal that I am, if you're a girl. Oh, wretched person that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The struggle is real, gang. But one day the struggle is going to be over. And Paul says, here's the thing. Don't let your struggle consume you to a point where you forget who it is that you're following. Don't forget that you're following God. Don't forget that you're following a loving Lord. You're following a a passionate prince. You're following a, a Savior that wants to give you life. He wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you eternity. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you renewal. He wants to give you life. And that more abundantly. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And man, you know it and I know it. When you run after the things in the world, when you lust after the things in the world, and you finally get what it is that you lusted after, you found that it was an empty carrot. There was no nutrition there. There was no fulfillment there. And so you go on to the next. Because the world says, oh, well, you've got to get that in order to get this. But once you get this, then it's going to be great. That's why the commercials show everybody, you know, in the beer commercials... Hey, beer commercials. Here, everybody is thin and beautiful. And they're always laughing. And they're always at the beach having a great time. Or they're in a bar and they're having an awesome time. And they're so fulfilled, they, they look like they have fulfilled eyes. I've not, maybe you've seen it, but I've never seen a commercial of buy our beer product showing a guy next to a toilet puking his guts out. Don't you want this? No, you're not going to paint the bad picture. Let's just paint a wonderful picture that is not real. Because that will tell them that they are a malcontent. They, they're not, they can't be content unless they have our product. And we bought it. We buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. Paul says... We have examples of those that tried to find their fulfillment in the lust of the things of this world and they didn't find it. They didn't find it. These things, he says, they became our examples. They became our two posts to the intent that we should no longer lust after evil things as they also lusted. And don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The reference here is, and I don't have time to get into all of these references, but I'm going to just very quickly run over some of these things and just see that uh, this is a reference of back in Exodus chapter 32. 
um, where Moses had delayed his time from coming down from the Mount of Sinai and the children of Israel, they were out in the wilderness for quite some time and they were thinking, hey, uh, Moses, he delays his time from coming down and they looked at Aaron and said, you're his brother. Moses is gone, we don't know. Make us a God that we know how to worship. We lust after something that we can tangibly see and tangibly hold on to. But mind you, they just saw this. You remember, when they got to Mount Sinai, they get to Mount Sinai, and the Lord says, hey, keep yourself from any sexual relations for three days. Don't come near the mountain on that third day. Don't let your animals, don't let anything come near the mountain. I'm going to come down upon the mountain. And I'm going to show my glory to you. And they did. And the cloud came down over the mountain on that day. And here's what happens to the children of Israel. They see God's glory coming down upon this mountain. And their knees were knocking together. Ga, 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 ga. And they tell Moses, they say, Moses, <laughs> okay, we, we now know that God is real. Okay, and here's the thing. But, but we never want to hear. And, and God spoke to them. And it freaked them out. And they said, hey, we don't ever want to hear God's voice again because that is scary. Moses, here's the thing. We're not going to doubt you anymore. You go and talk to God, but don't let us hear him anymore lest we die. So Moses goes up on the mount. And he doesn't come back in time. And so what do the children of Israel do? Ah, we forget what God looked like. We forgot the power of the Lord. We forgot the man in the wilderness. We forgot the water. We forgot all this stuff. Forget the pillar and the fire. We forget it all. And so Moses isn't coming back down the mountain. So Aaron, make us a gold calf. Make us, make us an animal out of gold so that we can worship it. Because everybody, everybody else in the world has something that they worship. And so we need something to worship. So let's make it a little baby calf. And, and it's like Aaron, he does. He goes, oh, okay. And God tells Moses, hey, you've been up here for quite some time. You need to get back down there. The people, there's a, there's a problem. There's a sound of a, of a battle. Moses says, there's a sound of battle going on down there. He goes, no, it's not battle, it's sin. Moses goes back down the mountain with his two big stone tablets of the commandments. And he throws them down at the ground when he sees them because they rose up. The people, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And as he comes back down the mountain, they go, uh-oh, oh there's Moses, he's back. And Aaron runs out. It's a classic line in the Bible. If you don't know this, you need to go back and look it up because it is classic. Aaron comes out and he goes, uh, Moses, we thought you were dead, brother. Um, we didn't know what to do. And so all the people said, because uh, Moses isn't coming down, uh, we should make a God to worship because we want to pe- we want to peace God, and so um, uh, now mind you, he Aaron asked for all the gold. He took all the gold and earrings and necklaces and everything and gave it to a craftsman. He melted it all together and he fashioned a golden calf, and that's what the people worshipped. But now Aaron he says to his brother, Ah, uh, hey, uh, you know the people? They're not good people. They're they're pretty. Henry, you know, they can get pretty bad. Here's the thing. I just said, hey, give me the gold. We took this gold and the weirdest thing happened. We threw the gold in a fire and out popped the calf. <laughs> sure as you're sitting there. 
Moses, take that calf and you grind it up and you mix it with the water and you make those people drink it. It says, it says, these things became, or I'm sorry, don't become idolaters as some of them were. They wanted an idol to worship. They wanted something tangible to, to worship. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. The word play there in the Hebrew is sehak, sehak, which literally means to laugh, joke, or mock. Oftentimes, mocking with the meaning of making light of a serious matter. Think about that for a second. This thing takes, takes on a whole different meaning now when it says that they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Because at first reading of that, you go... Well, what's wrong with that? Are you saying that God doesn't want us to have a good time? He doesn't want us to sit down and eat and drink and rise up to play? I mean, what is it that God wants us to be, you know, goobers? Not eat, not drink, not spend time with each other and have a good time? Until you understand this word of play. The word play, it literally means this. Look at this. It means this. It expresses an attitude of something that is claimed but seems impossible to realize. Such as when Sarah laughed at the promises of God that she would get pregnant and birth a child to old Abraham. That's the play. That word play is, is the word that was also translated what, what Sarah was saying, that she laughed. She's laughing in a mocking term, in a mocking way. <laughs> There's no way that an old woman like me is ever going to be able to give birth to a baby. I'm far past my time of, of, of you know, fertility. This word also has licentious overtones, a mocking at God's promises. And, and so here's, here's what it is. Licentious, if you don't know what licentious means, Webster's defines it this way, to disregard legal or morally accepted restraints, especially as it pertains to sexual practices. And so here's, licentious means I have a license to express myself sexually even though the world around me might consider it morally reprehensible. I'm going to do it because I'm showing that I I'm, I'm mocking the promises of God. If God really wants me to stop, he'd stop me from doing it right now. In other words, I know what God has said. This is the people. They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here's basically what it's saying. I know what God has said. I know what God has promised. I also know that it seems impossible for God to make good on his promises. And so therefore, I'm not only not going to live my life as, it, as, it, as if to expect the realization of God's promises, but I am going to join in with the others in the world as we mock these silly promises of God and we prove our solidarity together by joyfully entering into sexual practices that we know would be absolutely forbidden by God to prove that He is not going to do anything about it. That's what Paul's saying. That's what these people did. God has a promise. I don't believe He can fulfill it. How many of you stumble at the promises of God? Stumble at God's promises that He is able to keep you until the day of His return? How many of you stumble at the promises that God says, I have a future and a hope for you? How many of you stumble at the promises that you have a heaven awaiting you but because you don't see it tangibly, because you don't have the golden calf in front of you, 
You struggle with it, and because you struggle with it, you enter into things that you ought not even be a part of. It should not even be named among you, and yet you, you do it because you struggle with the promises of God. You don't think that he has the power to do it. You know what's weird about all of this thing that Moses is talking about, or what Paul is talking about of back in that day? These people still, in their twisted and confused ideology, they understood that that they and their understanding of God that they believed in God and they still believed that they were still his child and in the end that it would all work out for him this is not this is not good and yet that's our church today we mock God with the way we live our lives thinking, hmm, surely not. I mean, surely he's going to accept us all because we're all involved in it. You don't know. You don't know the word. It says many, the wide is the gate. And many there are who follow that pass through that gate to destruction. It's narrow, the gate that leads to life. Only a few go that way. Paul, he he says, listen. Don't let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Referencing also that there were some, most believe that the 23,000 that are being spoken of there, there's, there's references that some people believe that this is talking about. Another time in the, the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21, where 24,000 fell, um, and that there's just a little discrepancy here in the number. Um, but I don't see that in context here. He's talking about the children of Israel, the children of Israel in the wilderness. And what we do know is that 3,000 people fell. 3,000 people died on the day that Moses came back down the mountain. But... Chapter 32 of Exodus ends up saying that there was a plague among the people that the, that the Lord placed among the people. And, and the, 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 the understanding is of many theologians is that that plague took the lives of 20,000 people. Including the 3,000, that would be your 23,000. Exodus chapter 32 ends with God placing a plague upon the nation of Israel because of their disbelief, because they had to have something tangible, even though he was tangible to them. Let's not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. You remember as they... uh, didn't trust the Lord again. The Lord sent serpents in, you know, to the to the camp. And if you were bitten by a serpent, you died. And so they came to the Lord and they cried out to the Lord, Lord, stop these serpents. We're sorry that we're completely and totally mocking you and your promises and we're making light of who you are and we're making light of you being our God and we're angry with you and we think that we have a better plan for our life than you do. That's what we, a lot of us struggle with. We think that we have a better plan for our life than God does. A lot of us are, are, are uh, depressed. A lot of us are struggling in our life because we think that God is screwing up with our life. That God doesn't know really 
how to really handle our life. Because you know what? If you really love me, if you really like me, you do this for me. But I'm not in that. And so therefore, and, and if we actually voice it out, we see to ourselves and we hear ourselves say something pretty silly, don't we? God, you can't handle my life. That just doesn't sound right. You're God. I'm not. You can handle my life. So your only conclusion can come down that God doesn't care about you. And again, as you voice it, you go, well, now that doesn't even sound right either. He died for me. Okay, well, you care about other people more than you care about... No, that even doesn't sound right. See, if you begin to voice out your displeasure in your own life and you begin to point the finger at the Lord, you begin to see how silly you sound and how silly I sound when we begin to combat the Lord because of the way that our life is. Instead of saying, Lord, I don't know why I'm in this mess right now, but Lord, I'm yours. And today, I gave my life to you. Look at the mess that this life is in right now. And if it's because of me, Lord, show me how it is that I, I got the, this, this life, this body, this person, this individual in this mess. Help me get out of it to your glory. My life is no longer mine, it's yours. What is it that you want to do in my life today, Lord? I'm struggling right now in finances. Or I'm struggling in this. Or I'm struggling in that. I'm struggling in this relationship. Or I'm struggling in, in, in school. Or I'm struggling in my work. Lord, what is it that you're wanting to do through me? What is it that you're trying to prove to others through me in this difficult situation that I'm in? What is it that you're doing in my life to impact the world around me? And when we look at our world in that manner, if we have our outlook in that kind of a manner, and we look to God first for what's going on in our life, no longer do we have time to be depressed about the things that we aren't getting in our life, that we think are best for us. We trust the Lord. We trust the Lord. Lord, this is my life. I don't know why I'm in this, but Lord, you do. And you know the exit strategy. Help me with it. I'm not really enjoying this right now, but you know what? It's not about me, it's about you. And so, Lord, give me the strength to pass through this wilderness. I don't have to see you, and I don't have to have a golden calf. I don't have to have a cloud over me or a pillar of fire. I don't have to have food on the ground in the morning, and I don't have to have water coming out of a rock. I have you, and I trust you with my life. And I don't have to have anything else for it. Lord, help me to have faith in you and trust in your promises. You have my life. You know, the problem with lust, the problem with with these people, the problem with the people there in the wilderness is that they all, well, it said in verse 10, they they murmured. Paul says, let's not murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. All these things happened to them. I'm going to hurry through. All these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. He's saying, here's the thing about them. They looked. They they never looked forward. They never looked at what God was doing in their life. They were always looking at themselves and their past. Oh, if we could just have the leeks and the onions. I remember the garlic. I remember. But this manna, it's gagging me to death. I am so sick and tired of this manna. I just wish I was back in Egypt. I wish I was back in bondage. I wish I was back in prison. I wish I was back building cinder blocks to make pyramids or whatever they were doing back in that day. 
they say things that are foolish. We say things that are foolish when we get our eyes on us and we get our eyes off of the Lord. And Paul says that, those guys, did, they did that for our example. God allowed that to happen so that we would not be like them and look back. Because you know what? That's something that we as Christians have a struggle with, isn't it? It's looking back. It's looking back at what we used to have or looking back at our old sinful life, looking back at what we came from and go, hey, I only remember the good times. I'm not going to bring up the bad times. I'm only going to think of the good times. And we begin to long for those things, much like Lot's wife. When you get away from Sodom, you go and you don't turn around and look back. And it said that she, as she got out into the desert, she turned around and she looked back and, and the, the word there, looking back, it meant with longing eyes. As if she wished she were back in that place. And it says that she was turned into a pillar of salt. Do I believe that she turned into a pillar of salt? I think if God can create the heavens and the earth, he can make a woman a pillar of salt. That's not a hard thing for me to believe. I'm going to read this real quick. Luke chapter 9. Here's what Jesus says to you and I. He says in Luke chapter 9. Talking to to people. Talking to people that are wanting to follow him. Maybe this is you. Verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now before we go on, just think about that. What what is Jesus saying? You care? Be careful of you saying, I will follow you wherever you go. Because here's the thing. You love the pleasures of home. You love the pleasures of a nice soft pillow. You love the pleasures of air conditioning. You love the pleasures of that. Understand this. Where I go, I don't have that. I don't have a pillow for my head. I'm I'm going. I'm doing what God, my Father, calls me to do. Are you willing to give all that stuff up and follow me? The inference is that, no, he wasn't. He goes on, verse 59. He said to another, hey, follow me. Can you imagine? Jesus looked at an individual and said, follow me. And here's what that individual responded to him. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus responded to him and said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and you preach the kingdom of God. And another one also came and said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Have you put your hand to the plow? Have you turned around and longed for the world behind you as Lot's wife did, as Jesus is warning mankind not to do? Are you looking back at your old life? Gordon turned me on to a version of the Bible the other day that I'm going to read. He didn't think I'd do it. Hawaiian pigeon translation of the Bible. This is awesome. You've got to hear this. This is actual translation of the Bible. It's the last verse, Hawaiian pigeon. Last two verses, verses 61 and 62. Let me read it real real quick in our language. (laughs) Lord, 
and, and they're English too. I mean, so here, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In Hawaiian Pigeon, it says this. Another guy say, boss, I go and with you. But first, let me go back and tell my ohana goodbye. Jesus say, the guy that say, the, the guy that stay plowing the field, then look back, every, everything come kapaka, uh, kapahaki, kapahaki. That kind guy no good for work for God the king. That guy, listen, that kind guy no good for work for God the king. And I thought, okay, I, I understood everything he just said. Except he said, the guy that stay plowing the field, then look back, everything come kapahaki. I'm going, kapahaki? I don't even know what that means. And so I looked it up. Kapakahi means confused, mixed up, and crazy. He says, the guy that stay plowing the field didn't look back. Everything come confused, mixed up, and crazy. I'm going, well, now that is a great translation. That's a great translation. Because here's the thing. If I put my hand to the plow and turn around and say, I need to go and do these things. I, I long for those things. I want those things. Here's the thing. According to the Hawaiian Pigeon translation, it says, man, you are confused. You are mixed up. And you are crazy. You know why? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You've got God. You've got Jesus. You've got the Lord. You're following Him. What is so important behind you that you're willing to... Sacrifice this, forfeit this for that. And yet, we have so many of us that long for the past, that long to go back, to long to look behind us. And what we do is we become just like Lot's wife. We become useless. We become a pillar of salt. We become absolutely useless for any other purpose upon the face of this earth anymore. Not that salt can't be used in a good way. But salt can also be used in a very bad way. It can destroy fields. It can destroy harvests. And when we turn around and we look and long for the, bat, for the past, here's what we do. We destroy the fields that God desired us to go into. He says the field is white unto harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he send workers into the field. Yeah, Lord, I want to be a piece of salt. Because that stuff in the past, in my back, in my past life, that was fun stuff. The leeks and the garlic and the onions, that was awesome. But you were in prison. You were being brutalized. I know, but we had leeks and garlic and onions. You're willing to forfeit this for that. The whole purpose of this message here today is this. God has a plan for you. And he has given you and I an example of people that have had all of the excuses of why we won't follow the Lord and why we don't trust the Lord. He's given us the examples. Hey, if you were a part of that group, you wouldn't have followed me either. Take the example of those who have gone on before you and, and know that you don't have to do what they did in order to learn their lesson. Just learn through literature. 
You don't have to experience it yourself. Just know that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And my plan and my purpose is perfect. But if I do what you want me to do in life, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. I'm no longer going to be God. I'm going to be your fairy godfather or Santa Claus in heaven that moves to your every whim. No, that's not who I am. I care for you and love you far more than that. I have a plan for your life and it may be a difficult road to get there but know this I am with you and would you rather walk with me on a difficult road or walk an easier road and me not be a part of it and that's the past that you want to eat that's that's the decision that every single one of us are going to have to make in life are you willing to follow the Lord because he has a better plan for your life are you able to look back in the past at the examples that God has given to us and not have to experience what they did in order to learn the lesson They didn't learn the lesson. Let's follow the Lord. Let's be more blessed than Thomas. Let's be more blessed than Peter and James and John. Let's be the blessed generation that follows the Lord regardless of whether or not he shows us himself or not. Let's trust him with our lives. Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him? He has a better plan for you than you ever could dream of even though it might be difficult in your life right now, he still has a better plan. And he's working it through you. And sometimes we prolong the agony because we hold on to the past. We hang on to the anchors. Cut the anchors, man. Follow the Lord and trust him with your life. Amen? Does that make sense? Father, thank you so much for today. Help us, Lord, to learn these lessons. I know I've taken a long time to try to spell this out, but Lord, I needed it for me. I'm glad that my brothers and sisters were in this room, but Lord, I needed it to hear myself. I needed to hear these things. I needed to be reminded, Lord, of who you are. I needed to be reminded of the plan that you have for my life, for our lives. I needed to be reminded that Lord, there is a future and a hope. I needed to be reminded that, Lord, I don't have to see something tangible in order to believe, but that my blessing will be far greater than those that I look up to, the Peter and James and John guys and Paul that that actually had the opportunity to see you and they followed and they, they did follow. But Lord, I have the opportunity to have a bigger blessing than that. Lord, help me not to blow that. I want to fight the good fight of faith. I want to live my life. I want us to live our lives in such a way that, Lord, we crack a smile upon your face because you see that there's a bunch of kids down there that are bananas for you. We love you, God, because you first loved us. Lord, help us to trust you with our lives. Regardless of what the world around us wants us to do, regardless of what the world around us tries to entice us with, Help us to never look back, but to constantly keep our hand on the plow and look forward. Help us not to be confused, mixed up, and crazy. Katapaki. Help us to be of sound mind and spirit, because, Lord, you have taken our lives and you have taken residence and control of our lives, of our every step, of our every thought. And when we slip and we fall, Lord, let us run back to you to be restored and renewed. 
I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room and any others that listen to this message. Lord, I pray that you free them to walk in you, to guard themselves against the past, to guard themselves against what the world has to offer, but that we would seek your face in all that we say and all that we do. And one day, we're going to look back on it in eternity, thousand years, 10,000 times 10,000 years, and we're going to look back on it and say, that was the best decision I ever made on August 14th of 2016, where I finally gave up my life and gave it to the Lord and let him have it. If there's anyone in this room that wants to just give up your life, give it to him right now. There's no special thing you have to do. He just, he hears you where you are. Give it to him. Tell him you're sorry for taking control of your own life. Hand him the keys. Get out of that front seat. Jump in the trunk. Guard yourself from taking control of your life anymore and just follow the Lord. Help us, Lord, to follow you from this day forward. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, God, for a life that you still, an abundant life that you have still in front of every single one of us, Lord. Now use us up for your purposes, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.